Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. John Morant. John Morant is a superstar. Not an all-star, a superstar. And in fact, I'm not even sure at this point that's doing him justice. This guy might actually be like some kind of superhero. Because dude was definitely rocking a cape when he took off and did this last night. Winner takes a 3-2 lead in this opening round series. Morant. Oh! A jawbreaker! If there's anything that will get this crowd roaring at the Grizzlies' den, it is Ja Morant on the full extension. Incredible. Here is another fact. I'm pretty happy that Iron Eagle was on that call for that. Oh, a jawbreaker. A jawbreaker. I mean, that was a dunk contest in a playoff game. Can you run it back one more time, New York, if you don't mind? Winner takes a 3-2 lead in this opening round series. Morant. Oh! A jawbreaker! That was a jawbreaker. A jaw dropper, whatever the hell you want to call it. It was incredible. I mean, I don't want to get into hyperbole, but that dunk, honestly, was one of the best things ever. Like, the list of the greatest things in my life right now would include... Getting married, the birth of my two kids, that dunk. A jawbreaker! I mean, seriously, that, that's how good that was. And the Grizz needed that so badly, like really, really badly, because they were down 13 when he took off from practically midcourt. They were down double digits at home, staring at the possibility of going back to Minnesota, facing elimination, and then Jaw went and he did that. He did that to the rim, and unfortunately, he did that to Malik Beasley. As always, I am not coming to clown Beasley. Nothing but respect for somebody who stands in there and tries to contest a dunk or take a charge and does not make a business decision and bail. Because if you do try and stand in there and contest that, you're going to get tweeted into oblivion, and it does not go well, and it went terribly. For Beasley. You want to know how big that dunk was? Check this quote out after the game. I did see the highlight of that dunk, though. (laughs) Quote, I did see the highlight of that dunk, though. Wow. That quote was from Eric Spolstra, the head coach of the Miami Heat. He's not even involved in that series. He's not even in the same conference. And he was talking about another guy's dunk. After his team had just closed out their series in Miami, they were talking about that dunk. Like, the dunk was so freaky that a coach in a different series, in a different conference, a thousand miles away, was talking about it. Josh's teammate, Desmond Bain, sounded like he was speaking at Malik Beasley's funeral. Just poor guy. I mean, you know, having to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, man. Yeah, poor guy. I like Beasley, too. He's a good dude, but shh, it's oh, tough. He's going to see that on Twitter tomorrow. He's going to see that on Twitter tomorrow. He's like, poor guy, man. Poor guy. Just wrong place, wrong time. You know, like standing on the railroad tracks and not seeing that Amtrak coming. Wrong. Good dude, man. Poor guy. Just kind of walking around, having himself a day, looking around, standing on the railroad tracks, and got dragged by a train. You know why? The trains can't stop. 
Thank you, Albie. Paid for by NHTSA. Stay the hell off the tracks and stay the hell out of Jaws' way. Quote, he gonna see that on Twitter tomorrow. Yes, he gonna. Yes, he will. And then the day after that, and the day after that, hell, the year after that, and the year after that. Teammate Brandon Clark, who had a hell of a game of his own, and the fourth quarter of a lifetime with 10 rebounds added this. I was like, yo, he just brought the ball all the way back and flushed it hard. So, I mean, I think that's a play that can really get us going, can really get us hype. You think? You think? Yeah, my man did take that ball all the way back and flush it hard. And, yes, it did get them going. Like, everybody was awed by that. Everybody except for the guy who threw it down himself. I mean, I really wasn't excited about the dunk. Uh, it was over a guard. Um, that's pretty easy. So, Quote, I wasn't excited about that dunk. It was over a little guard. That was pretty easy. End quote. I mean, I really wasn't excited about the dunk. Uh, it was over a guard. Um, that's pretty easy. Well, so. Like that dude threw it down on me or Alvy or Chalk or Ritt or any of us. See, this is why Jaw is so awesome. The entire world is losing its collective bleep over that dunk. And he's like, what? What? Oh, that. Yeah. Yeah, that was just me throwing down on some little dude. Nothing I haven't done a million times before and nothing that I won't do still a million times going forward. Yeah, except for one problem, Jaw. Most of us, even a number of your peers, have never seen anything like that before. I mean, people go to jail for stuff like that. Assault, battery, extreme humiliation. Then again, maybe he was acting like that because he had two other buckets that were even bigger, including the go-ahead three. Bain drives, gives for Jones, left wing three. No good. Clark back taps the rebound to Moran. Moran a three for the lead. Oh! Bring it up. Put three on the board. Grizzlies by one. 107-106. Grizz Radio. At that point, it looked like the T-Wolves were going to complete their meltdown. I mean, they are pretty good at melting down, right? We've seen that before. They went up from 13, up 13 in the fourth, to trailing. And that came after blowing a pair of 20-point leads in Game 3. So we know they have that in them. I mean, the T-Wolves, I get that they're young, but holy crap. Doc Rivers... And the point god can't stop laughing at their inability to finish games that matter. I mean, the Wolves, as much as I like them, and I do, there's a lot to like about them, and I do like them, but they are next level with their inability to get to the next level. <laughs> They're the absolute worst. Give them a lead, and they will find a way to blow that lead. Give them a lead, and they will do whatever they can to lose composure. It goes right out the window. Everything that got them that lead goes right out the window. Like, they're playing a certain way. They're up 20. They're up 20 again. They're up 13. And then all of a sudden, they stop hitting the boards. They stop running their offense. They just start playing hero ball. They just start playing hero ball. And I'm not here to mention any names at all. D'Angelo Russell. D'Angelo Russell on that second to last possession. And Cat dribbling it off a dude's foot moments before that. And then they still do something like this. 
Down 109-106. McLaughlin to trigger in. Comes right into Towns. Right back to J-Mac. Bounce pass to the corner. Ant rises for the game-tying three and hits it with 3.7 seconds left. Anthony Edwards delivers. How do you like that? Yeah, I mean, I did like that a lot in that moment. And for a minute, you think, you know what? All right. Maybe you can't quit on these guys. Maybe they do have some heart. Maybe they do have some grit. Maybe they have some it. Because just when it looked like they were going to choke that game away, they come up with something like that. And you think, you know what? They'll get this thing to overtime. They can redeem themselves. Yeah, right. Then they chase that with this. Brooks, toss it. Moran drives. Moran. Oh, it's good. One second left. John Morant with the bucket. And that's it. A gutty grizzly win. Come from behind at home. This is why you cannot trust the T-Wolves. Edwards trying way too hard to steal the inbounds pass and then blowing the game in the process. Look, I'm not saying that guarding jaw is easy. It's not. It's one of the toughest things in the game. But just stay in front of the guy. Don't try to jump the route and be a hero. Do just enough instead of blowing the whole damn thing. But Edwards had already decided what he was going to do ahead of time. I had already had my mind made up that I was going to try to steal it. Dumb mistake. I had already made my mind up that I was going to try to steal a dumb mistake. Dumb mistake. Nah, dude. Nah, nah. Not a dumb mistake. The dumbest mistake. Like a middle school mistake. Hero ball kills them again. And now they've got to win tomorrow in order to save their season. Here is some free advice for you. I mean, that is not a dumb mistake. That is the dumbest mistake. I want to be very clear about that. There is dumb, dumber, and dumbest. That was the dumbest. Here's some free advice. Don't get a lead and don't try to be a hero. Oh, and don't let John Morant wreck you with something like this. Winner takes a 3-2 lead in this opening round series. Morant. Oh! A jawbreaker! And you know there is no bigger fan of Pat Beverly than me. We've made that pretty clear, right? Or I have. But if I'm Malik Beasley, I'm telling Pat Bev to chill the hell out with that too small stuff. Too small that he's throwing a jaw. He tried to hit John Morant when too small, man. Too small to check me after he rose up and he knocked down a shot. Yeah, and then John Morant went for 13 straight. Look, I know that Pat Bev is not going to stop being Pat Bev. But frankly, it is costing the T-Wolves. And it nearly costs that guy his life. Whatever height Jaw is at, it's just fine. Malik should also tell Cat, even after knocking in a big three, stop shushing the crowd. Fans wanted to travel on Carl Anthony Towns. He lines it up. He buries it. A three. And he tells the crowd to hush. Because after the game, when you blow another double-digit lead in a game you thought you had already won and you're shushing and hushing people, it makes for an incredible meme for trolls on Twitter. In other words, Cat... You know what I got for you? And again, I like you too. Man, I hate it when guys that I like do dumb things and I have to say they're dumb things. Cat, I like you, but I've got something for you. A reverse cat for you. 
cat. That's what you get when you knock down a big shot and you turn and you shush everybody and then you blow another double-digit lead. You get the reverse cat, cat. Hey, listen, do you have an account with Coinbase? Or are you thinking of opening one? Cryptocurrency may represent the future of money, and it is one of the most exciting investment opportunities to come around in quite some time. But, but, what about the taxes? Have you thought about that? With an auto crypto IRA, you can trade crypto like Bitcoin and avoid or defer the taxes. Get into investing in crypto. I have, but do it in a tax-advantaged retirement account. Alto's Crypto IRA is the easiest way to get crypto into an IRA. That way you can trade all you want without the tax headache. And you can create an account in only a few minutes and invest with as little as $10. No setup charges and no account fees. And secure trading 24-7 through Alto's integration with Coinbase. So why would you not do this? Open up an Alto Crypto IRA with as little as $10. Just go to altoira.com slash Rome. That's A-L-T-O-I-R-A.com slash Rome and start investing in cryptocurrency today. Go to altoira.com slash Rome, altoira.com slash Rome. Jaquan Brisker is my guest. Jaquan, great to have you on. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. It's good to have you. All right, so the draft finally gets underway tomorrow night, and I say finally because I would imagine you have been waiting and preparing your entire life for this moment. So then how does it feel, and then how do you plan on spending today and tomorrow before the draft itself? You know, really, um, it, you know, it just you know feels great, you know, just to be you know in, in this position, you know, really just humbled and blessed. And, you know, really what I'm doing, you know, today and tomorrow, just keeping my mind off of it. Um, today, I'm going to probably continue to, you know, try to move around and work out and, you know, play video games, try to get my mind off of it, hang around family. Then tomorrow, um, you know, get dressed, you know, um, go, you know, go hang out with my family, friends, um, have it here in Pittsburgh and, you know, have a great time. That sounds about right. Jaquan Brisker is joining me right now. Listen, your journey to me is really interesting. You decided to go the junior college route, and you had a coach, Terry Smith, who was at Penn State at that point, and he said he would keep an eye on you, so you started sending your film to him, and as you've said, quote, every scrimmage, game, or whatever, I just kept sending my film out, and he kept an eye on me since then, but then you had other schools jump in, Bama, West Virginia, Pitt, more got involved. So ultimately, what made you choose Penn State, and then what did it mean to finally be a Nittany Lion? Yes, sir. I chose um, Penn State just to change the narrative around defensive backs. You know, um, you know, other schools. You know, they had Jim Thorpe Award winners, and you know, they had you know established themselves you know with great defensive backs. So um, I just wanted you know to go to Penn State and you know change that narrative and um, you know try to prove my prove myself, and then you know. It, it meant a lot to be you know, in any line, especially, you know, being in the home state of Pennsylvania, you know, playing for my home state. So it felt really great, you know, playing under, you know, a program like that, a traditional program like that. Jaquan Brisker is joining us. All right, so lots of moments that we could talk about from your time at Penn State, but I do want to ask you about that Wisconsin game in the season opener last year. You were fighting through a lot of pain in that game, and you were riding the bike on the sideline trying to keep that pain away. What do you remember about that day and fighting through that adversity and that pain? Yes, sir. What I just remember was, um, you know, when I was just, you know, fighting through my pain, just, you know, I couldn't let my teammates down. You know, I had to, we had to come out of there with a win, you know, so I knew I had to battle back 
Um, you know, we, we, you know, we worked so hard in, you know, camp and, you know, we created a great bond, great chemistry. You know, I just knew that, you know, I couldn't let, you know, um, you know, that pain, you know, affect me that day. And I knew, you know, when I got back in, you know, I had to give it all back to my teammates. Hey, listen, one thing to fight through it, another thing to get back in there, but quite another to make the play that you made. Wisconsin got down to the one yard line, trailing by six, less than three minutes to go, fourth and goal. What did you read on that particular play? And then how did it feel to come up with a pick on the goal line? Yes, sir. So um, when I was scouting them, you know, in the previous, you know, watching the previous games, their quarterback really liked number 84, you know, in the red zone on third down. So, uh, you know, it was fourth down. Um, the, the tight end was to my left, 84. So I stepped to my right. Um, I was just looking at the running back, you know, once he blocked. You know, my, I took my eyes to 84 and just, you know, in, intercepted the ball. And then, you know, it went on from there. Jaquan Brisker is my guest. Help me with this. It seems to me, tell me I'm right or wrong. It seems to me, though, a lot of guys in that situation might get really hyped and try and do a little bit too much. You seemed awfully calm in that moment. How were you able to stay that calm in that moment? Yes, sir. Coach Franklin just preparing us for the moment. He just always preparing us, you know, in practices. You know, we have situations like that, you know, where, you know, it's fourth down and the game's on the line. Or, you know, he might, you know, um, in the beginning of practice, you know, we start, we start one-on-ones, you know, with, you know, everybody in the building watching us. So we always got pressure on us, but, you know, just competing everything you do. So, um you know, it, it, it really wasn't anything in the moment. So, you know, you could have entered the uh, draft after the 2020 season but decided to come back. What was the thinking behind that decision? And then how much better are you as a player and even as a leader because of that extra year in college? I was just really went how this decision was. I just wanted to become more of a professional, um, come back and, you know, um, know more about football, you know, soak everything in from my coaches, you know, soaking anything that I needed from my teammates and, you know, the alumni. And then really, um, you know, just make sure I graduated college. You know, that was very huge for me, you know, make sure you know, I graduated college, which I did. And um, that those were, you know, huge factors of me coming back. Jaquan Prisker is joining us. He's with Sleep Number today. We're going to talk about that momentarily. You know, when you look around the NFL right now, who are some of the safeties in the league that you admire most and guys that have a game that's maybe similar to yours or that you might compare yourself to, at least the way you look on the field? Yes, sir. Uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, you know, I, I think I admire my game after him. Um, Derwin James, you know, Tyron Matthew, you know, the, the, those three safeties for sure. Um, you know, just the way they're, you know, they're versatile and, you know, how they make plays for the team and that they're very balanced. You know, they're, they're great in the box, you know, great in the back end, you know, could show, you know, their skills. So, you know, I, I, I say them three for sure. Jaquan, I want to ask you about something, if you don't mind, and I want to be very sensitive in the way I, I broach this, but the road to this spot has not been easy at all. Your older brother was killed when he was 19. You were only 15. What was he like as a brother and a person, and then how much did you learn from him growing up? Yes, sir. Um, just, you know, as a as a brother, you know, he was a great brother. You know, he always was there for me, you know, through the good times and the bad times. You know, he always made sure, you know, I always had everything I needed, and then, you know, um, you know, he he also he meant a lot to me, you know, and my family. Just, you know, he was always, you know, the type to, you know, always, you know, fix, you know, the the huge problems and you know, stuff like that. So, you know, um, but me, you know, having him in my corner, you know, just knowing, 
knowing you know everything that we talked about you know, i just knew i had to fulfill all his promises Okay, see, that's, that's interesting you just said that. I was going to say because he had a deep, deep belief in you, and you said that in your final conversation with him, he told you, quote, if anybody in the family makes it, it will be you, end of quote. It seems to me that could feel like a really heavy responsibility. What do those words mean to you, and then how much do they inspire and motivate you even now? It meant a lot because, you know, when he said it, you know, uh, he was really smiling, smiling. You know, he's smiling in the car when we were talking. You know, it, it meant a lot. So, um, you know, once he passed, you know, that's the last thing, you know, I can remember, you know, of him because I was the last person to see him was, you know, him smiling and, you know, us having a great conversation. You know, I also told him that, you know, I was going to wear his number three and he uh, he got a huge smile. And then, um, you know, that's what – and then that was the reason why I wore number three in high school because of him. And, um, you know, I just kept his name going, you know, forever. All right, so when you take all of this into consideration, your entire journey on the field, off the field, what you've been through, all of this culminating in what we're going to see tomorrow night, what kind of emotions do you think you're going to feel when you hear your name called? Sometimes I think I might cry. Sometimes I think I might not. But, you know, I I really don't know. You know, in in a moment, you know, I think I'll be very emotional just because, you know, everything, you know, that – you know, I've been through that my family been through, you know, just what it took to get here. And then also, you know, um, you know, not having my brother here, you know, just, you know, think about him. So, you know, it, it probably will be emotional because this is a big, a big thing for my family. Yes, sir. You know it is. Jaquan Brisker is my guest. Now, you're working with Sleep Number today. I had Kyle Hamilton on the show yesterday. He was raving. He was raving about how Sleep Number has helped him. What kind of an impact has it made or had on you? It had a, um, a huge impact. You know, um, before I, I um, got to bed, you know, I was, you know, not really, you know, sleeping well, you know, um, not going to sleep right away. But as soon as I got sleep, the sleep, sleep number 360 smart bed, you know, I was, I slept great. You know, my recovery was great. You know, my, and then my performance was great. You know, once, you know, my body recovered and, you know, um, I, I was sleeping well, you know, my performance, you know, it, it just, you know, went sky high. So, you know, it's a great bed. See, how important is that? Like for, hey, I don't always sleep well. I want to be straight about that. How important is it, especially as a high-level athlete, to rest, yes. recover, and get that sleep? It's very important. Just because, you know, when you first get up, you know, you're functioning, you know, once you had great sleep. And then, you know, you could be yourself. You know, you could think on a fly and you could, you know, move as fast as you want. And then also, you know, it helps prevent injuries also, you know, getting great sleep and then also having the sleep number 360 smart bed, you know, just, you know, help me a lot, you know, with my, you know, just, you know, my body and, you know, just keep me healthy. And then, you know, also, you know, just have helping me stay focused and, you know, laser focused and, you know, maintaining. I like it. Who doesn't want that? He's an All-American, a first-team All-Big Ten player, a team captain, played his ball at Penn State, and the big night is tomorrow night. The NFL Draft, Jaquan Brisker, my guest. Jaquan, great to have you on. Listen, thank you so much for that. Good luck tomorrow night. Can't wait to see how it goes. Thank you for having me. Hey, guys, let's talk skincare. Seriously. Skincare can be complicated, especially for men who have never had a skincare routine. That's where Tiege Hanley comes in. Tiege Hanley is a men's skincare company that helps guys start and maintain a healthy skincare routine by making the process uncomplicated. Every single box comes with an instruction card that tells you when to use each product, how much to use, and in what order. It is so easy and it's so effective. 
In fact, let me recommend this. The Level 1 system is the easiest way to get started, and it comes with all of the basics that you dudes need to take care of your skin. I'm telling you, for the longest time, I never even cared. But I know that I've got to be in front of a camera every single day, so I've got to take care of my skin. And Tiege Hanley makes it so easy for all of the reasons I mentioned. Listen, have you noticed a difference in the way your skin looks and feels? I have. But don't just take my word for it. Tiege Hanley has over 5,000, 5,000 five-star reviews on their website from customers worldwide. And because Tiege Hanley is sponsoring today's episode, they are offering you an amazing deal. Just go to Tiege.com slash Rome and you'll get 30% off your first box plus a free gift. That's T-I-E. GE.com slash Rome. An amazing deal. Check it out for yourself and let me know what you think. All right, so Monday night, the Nets got swept. And Kyrie promoted himself to team owner. Ever since then, though, Kevin Durant has been on this crazy social media tear. I mean, the likes of which we have never seen before. He's averaging a triple-double on social ever since the Nets got rocked. First, there was him taking shots at Charles Barkley for calling him a, quote, bus rider. Y'all bus riders. You knew Durant was not going to like that. You knew that he was not going to like the implication that the only reason he has any rings at all is because he joined forces with Steph, Clay, and Draymond, and that he can't win one on his own, that he couldn't before he got there, even if it's true. So, of course, he fired back at Charles with picks of Chuck on the Rockets and the Sixers, surrounded by talent and the caption, where would Chuck be without the big homies? End of quote. Because, of course, he was going to do that. Of course, the dude with the thinnest skin on the planet was going to fire back. Of course, he was going to get in his feelings and then get on social media. It's always been so bizarre to me that we're talking about one of the greatest players in the history of the game, yet he's that insecure. He's that thin-skinned. Look, we're talking about a guy that got bent, that Mo Buckets was nicknamed Mo Buckets. That's how thin-skinned KD is. So when he went after Chuck for speaking the truth, it was the same old, same old from Kevin. Thin-skinned man goes thin-skinned. But then something happened. Then he did something that is this close to winning me over because he simply refused to put down the phone. He will not stop tweeting. When Rob Perez, a.k.a. World Wide Wob, pointed out that Inside the NFL was going to crush Durant with their army of producers who had all day long to work something up, which they did, and it was a spectacular visual beatdown that does not work on radio, but it really was amazing. Durant then responded with this, quote, an army of producers against the God. Just another Tuesday. End of quote. So, Kyrie promotes himself to co-owner. KD promotes himself to God. And that was just the start. Because the self-proclaimed God was looking to trade shots with his subjects. And when some dude with all of 450 followers tweeted, quote, calling yourself the God after that series is crazy, 
Kevin Durant responded with, quote, I don't get why you guys are so mad at what I call myself. It's about good affirmations, right? Be happy for me. End of quote. And this is why this guy's the absolute best. Because he's one of the greatest players in the history of the game. A guy with nearly 20 million followers on Twitter. Alone. 20 million on Twitter alone. And he's trading with some dope who has 450. That's not a good ratio. 20 mil to 450. If you have 20 million followers, you should not respond to somebody with 450. But KD, retweeting him and responding to him made that that guy's best day ever, I'm sure. 450 Twitter followers. When that rando tweets, his reach is so small, he may as well just open up a window and start screaming. Except Durant just handed him the biggest megaphone ever by responding. But Durant was not done. Never. Far from it. Some guy with just over 1,300 followers tweeted, quote, because it just sounds corny to call yourself God. You're deifying yourself, and it's weird. End of quote. Yeah, because KD was going to let that slide. Because KD was not going to respond to that. Quote, why do you focus on weird bleep? End of quote. When he was tweeting that he wanted, or then he was tweeting, that he wanted inside the NBA to fire the producers. Then he appeared to shut it down for the night, at least on the regular account. But then he was back at it again this morning. From the sounds of it, my man woke up, punched the clock, logged in, and started battling Twitter eggs and nobodies all over again. Somebody tweeted at him, begging him to stop tweeting. The tweet read in part, this summer, delete Twitter, get in the weight room, lock in, and show them what the kid from Seat Pleasant really is about. Make them eat those words. Now, just for reference, this guy has less than 340 followers on Twitter. And he was about to hear from the God himself, quote, I'm not about to delete my Twitter fam. Bleep that, LOL. Laugh out loud. I got to tell you something. I love it, and I can't even explain it. Because it's 100% in direct opposition to everything I stand for. A guy like Durant should not be trading with idiots on Twitter. It is so unbelievably beneath him. He probably shouldn't even have a Twitter account. And he definitely should not be feeding the trolls. Because he can't handle it. If you've got skin that thin, and you have ears that big, ears that even are bigger than the commissioner's ears, ears that hear everything, you clearly are not built for social media. But he won't stop. He can't stop. He won't stop. He's addicted to it. It's like the junk food that he cannot stop eating. The drug that he cannot stop hoovering or injecting. 
he just got humiliated in the playoffs and his immediate move is to jump right on Twitter and trade with randos and trolls. It's got to be one of the most childish, thin-skinned things I have ever seen in my life. Yet for some reason, I'm actually starting to like it. I'm actually here for it, and I don't even know why. Hell, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll admit it. I love it. I love it. I don't like it. I love it. And I can't believe those words just came out of my mouth. The thing that I should hate, I now love. This bleeping dude. Like, this dude's like, oh, hey, yo, you think Elon Musk owns Twitter? I own Twitter. Elon Musk merely bought Twitter, but I own it. I'm the reason it even exists. I'm a Twitter god. No, no. I am the Twitter god. No, no. I'm just God, period. Like, on the one hand, I don't respect it at all. (laughs) Like, I don't respect it at all. Yet, on the other hand, I respect it entirely. This guy's inability to put down the phone is hilarious to me. It's both the most childish thing ever and the best thing ever. The fact that one of the all-time great athletes is willing to fight everybody ever on Twitter is so great. And I can't even explain why. Because, again, it goes against everything I stand for. It is beyond petty. It's moronic. It's stupid, and he doesn't get anything out of it. But for some reason, I respect the fact that he refuses to stop. Like, like how about this, really quickly? Somebody with the screen name Baby Billy Freeman went in. Baby Billy Freeman went in and tweeted, quote, Somebody please name a lamer superstar than at KD Trey 5. Yeah, because, again, at KD, Trey 5 was not going to respond to baby Bill Freeman. KD came flying in. Quote, let me go back in the house. Outside, too full with the cool kids like Billy. I don't fit. LOL. Laugh out loud. My dude, you are Kevin effing Durant. I'm Kevin Durant. You are trading shots with baby Billy Freeman, a total nobody. There were almost more characters in that tweet than BBF has followers. But Durant simply cannot stop. He's a moth to a flame. He's a fat guy to cake. He simply cannot stop himself. He knows it's dangerous. He knows they're empty calories. Yet he's doing it until he falls asleep and then he starts again the very next day. And the best thing about the Nets getting swept is that Durant has got even more time now for Twitter. And more KD on Twitter is awesome for the rest of us. I never thought that I would say it, but it is. You know what he's like? KD is like Bruce Lee. Surrounded by a bunch of henchmen in the middle of a gymnasium. And he's just up there crushing fools. Left, right, up, down. Like, no matter how big or small. And I mean small. Katie's going to scissor kick one dude, then turn around and forearm shiver some other chump. 
He never gets overwhelmed. He doesn't get tired. Eventually, it's just him standing up in the middle of a bunch of beat-up bodies, limping away. It's like the Enter the Dragon bleep. Man, I love that movie. Remember Enter the Dragon? Where Bruce Lee takes on, like, hundreds of dudes at once? They all get in line to get bleeped up by his nunchucks. You know, and that one guy, one guy gets lucky with a knife or a sword and draws blood. And all it does is just piss Bruce off. Where he's like, like, like Bruce is just going through like thousands of dudes who are all lined up around the block to get their shot. And then that one guy gets lucky with the blade. And all it did was piss him off where he gets that scowl. Like he gets that. That's Katie on Twitter. That's Katie. Like, baby Billy Freeman got lucky with the blade. And all it did, and Katie just went, Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Katie, man. I'm here for it, dude. I'm not criticizing you. In fact, I love it now. I never thought that I would, but I do. Dude, never, ever, ever, ever put that phone down. My man, don't even sleep. Do not even sleep. Just do it all day. With prices soaring at the pump, Discover has your back with cash back. Use Discover to earn 5% cash back at gas stations and Target now through June on up to $1,500 in purchases when you activate. We know every single dollar matters right now, but you can count on us. Get up to $75 cash back this quarter with Discover It card. Limitations to apply and learn more at discover.com slash rewards. Discover.com slash rewards. Joel Klatt is my guest. Joel, it's good to have you back. How are you? It's good to be back. What's going on, Jim? It's been a minute. It's good to have you, Joel. Good to hear your voice. So let me ask you this. Before we get into the specifics, Joel, what is your overall assessment of the draft class? Where is it weak? Where is it strong? Yeah, so it's it's really strong at edge. Those edge rushers, I think that you can have probably five of those guys go in the top 12. Wide receivers of another strong position. The what I love about the wide receiver group is that it's eclectic. So you've got small guys that are fast. You've got smooth guys that can just play on the outside. You've got big players that can play inside and outside, like Drake London. So that eclectic nature, I think, is it's you're going to be able to find exactly what you need. Joel Klatt is joining us. Joel, I'm going to double back and ask you about that wide receiver class in a minute because I think that's really interesting. Your final mock draft, though, comes out tomorrow. You have already called your shot. You've said that you'd be surprised if Malik Willis is not selected in the top 12. What are you hearing that is giving you that sense, and why do you think that he is rising the way that he has? So the reason Malik is rising is because he has this innate skill set that you just cannot teach. When you look at what was going on late into the playoffs, the Mahomes-Allen game, the way that Burrow played, the way that Stafford played, so much of their quality play was off schedule, uh, what they were doing outside of the pocket. Even when you look at the Super Bowl, Stafford, the no-look pass. So th- these types of intangibles are so important. You've got to have the strong arm, obviously, but no longer is it just that We need the guy that is anticipating from the pocket and so on and so forth. You've got to have the guy that can grow into an absolute force on the field. Uh, Herbert style, Allen style, Mahomes style, Burrow style. 
And I think that you can project that with Willis. Now, I'm not saying that he's definitely going to be that, but you can at least project it. Whereas some of the other guys, maybe you can with Ritter, but the others, you know, they're just really experienced quarterbacks that uh, you're hoping you can get kind of the most out. Interesting. Joel Klatt joining us. The NFL Network's coverage of the draft gets underway on Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern. I was going to ask you, Joel, so if you're in the front office and you're looking at Willis and you're looking at, say, Kenny Pickett, how would you distinguish between the two of those players? Vastly different. First of all, Pickett is a guy that's just played a ton of football. And, and this is actually – let me just give you a, a positive on Pickett. If you take a look at the last, you know, 10 winning Super Bowl quarterbacks, what you'll see is that if you go back to their college career, on average, they all started well over 30 games. They attempted over 1,000 passes, completed over 700 of them. Uh, they've got 70-plus touchdowns in their career. They're experienced guys. In fact, the guy with the least ex- amount of experience of the Super Bowl winning quarterbacks is actually Tom Brady, hmm. which is wild. And so Pickett has that going for him. Remember, he's completed a 1,000 passes. Like, this guy has played a ton of football, and he does anticipate really well from the pocket. The hand size thing, it doesn't bother me as much as others, but um, it's definitely out there. These guys that want to sit in dark rooms and say he's going to fumble the ball all over the place, that's going to be their issue. The difference between the two is that Pickett is just kind of a a B-plus, now and he's going to be a b plus later whereas willis might be just a b now but there's some a a minus a plus tendencies and so you're drafting the upside of malik willis whereas pickett is just kind of a known commodity and and he's going to be a guy that you can come in learn your system and be a quality player joel clad breaking it down for us all right joel so at the very top if you're jacksonville are you going to go pass rusher or offensive line? And if you're going to go pass rusher, are you going Aiden Hutchinson or Trayvon Walker? So I think it's going to be pass rusher. And I believe that's the good choice because of the two offensive linemen, while they're great, we're talking about Evan Neal or Iki Iquanu from North Carolina State. They're good players, but I don't think they put you over the edge. When you look at these two pass rushers, they can be dynamic all-pro game wreckers. Aiden Hutchinson is the guy that I would take only because he does everything well. He's got every single tool in the toolbox. Jim, he can line up at a six technique, which is head up onto the tight end, and he can defend the run. He did that for three years under Don Brown, the defensive coordinator at Michigan, before Mike McDonald was there uh, last year. He can stand him up in a two-point stance. He can wreck the game as a pass rusher. He can defend the run. He can do everything. By the way, he's also a terrific leader. He almost single-handedly dragged that program up so that they could beat Ohio State for the first time in a decade. I I love Aiden Hutchinson. Trayvon Walker is upside. You're drafting a guy that you feel like is long, hybrid, fast, and is just athletically freaky. He doesn't have the production Hutchinson does, and he doesn't have the toolbox that, that Hutchinson has, but you can project him out to be a great player. If I had the pick, it would be Hutchinson. But I'm hearing a lot of smoke about Walker going number one. If that's the case, Jim, Dan Campbell and Detroit are going to write Aiden Hutchinson's name on that card and run it up to the podium because they could get Michigan's favorite son in their own backyard, and he's a culture setter for that organization. Joe Clad breaking it all down for us. Joe, so all these guys that you just talked about near the top of the draft or even maybe somebody you did not, do you see any, quote, sure things in this draft? 
That's a great question. I think Hutchinson's probably the closest thing to a, to a known sure thing. Um, I would go with some wide receiver. Like Garrett Wilson is going to be a really good player. Drake London is going to be a really good player. I think Ahmad Gardner, the, the corner, is going to be a really good player. But I'm going to go off of that board. Here's the guy that I think can be an all-pro multiple times in his career, and he's not going to get any love. Tyler Linderbaum, the center from Iowa. I think this guy is an all-pro center for probably 10-plus years in the National Football League. He's a tone setter, but you don't hear anything about him because, Jim, he doesn't play any other position. He's just a center. That's what he is. And so he's going to have to go to a team that has a need at center, and he's going to plug in. He's probably going to play right away. This guy was a state champion wrestler. He's as tough as they come. He's fast. He's athletic. He can get out and pull as a center, which is unheard of in in a lot of regards. But he's the type of guy that can really help your team win on the interior of the offensive line. He's the biggest sure thing in my eyes in this draft. I like that. I like that. I hear that. Those who know, know. Joel, when you talk about the wide receivers, let me ask you, like a couple of the guys you mentioned, you got Wilson, you got Drake London, Chris Olave, a healthy Jameson Williams. How are you going to separate those guys from each other? What are the attributes that put one guy over the rest? It's so hard, and I mentioned this earlier because they're eclectic. They're all different. You know, where Garrett Wilson is, is he's probably the best all around. He's six foot, almost 190. This guy is a really good player. He runs clean routes, he snatches the ball out of the air, he runs through the catch. He's a hard worker. He's a pro's pro. He can go up and get the 50-50 ball. He's good down the field. He's obviously fast with the 40 that he ran. So I think he's probably the best overall. But Drake London's 6'5". He's got those basketball tendencies. He, he averaged, by the way, 30 points per game in AAU basketball with 12 uh, rebounds. This guy is athletic. He runs after the catch as well as anybody at 6'5". So I love what he brings to the table. Olave is the smooth receiver, and he's had to work himself into this position. Quick story on Chris Olave that you'll like, because you're, you know, you're familiar with Southern California. In fact, I think you and I actually probably live really close, because I'm over at Shady Canyon, and I see your name, but I never see you around there. That's why they love me as Regardless. a member, Joel. You know this. That's why I'm their favorite member. Listen, they want people to just pay their dues and never show up. That's so me. Jim That's Rome, why they love me. Member member of the decade. No, I'm, I'm a member of a lifetime, my friend. But yeah, I see you working. <laughs> You're right. So anyway, anyways, I'm just going to tell you this quick story about Chris Olave. Mission Hills High School. This is, you know, way back. He's not really highly recruited at all. In fact, his quarterback is much higher recruited than he is. His name was Jack Tuttle. Ryan Day goes to watch Jack Tuttle play football. And Ryan Day is like, who's the receiver? It's Chris Olave. So he walks down there, invites Chris Olave to take a visit to Ohio State. He takes a visit to Ohio State. He's one of the lowest-rated recruits to sign with him in that recruiting class. But he gets on the field early because he's a worker. He works extremely hard, and he's smooth and athletic. So he works himself onto the special teams. And then all of a sudden, his redshirt freshman year, he gets on the field against Michigan on the punt return team. He blocks a punt. They give him a chance out at wide receiver. Guess what he does? Catches a touchdown pass, and then the sky's the limit. So he's worked himself into being this great player. He wasn't highly recruited by like some of these other guys. And then when you look at Jamison Williams, here's all I'll say. 
He was a clear number four receiver at Ohio State, had to transfer to Alabama for a number of different reasons. He's probably the best in one singular area. So, Jim, he's got the straight line speed. He can get down the field, but he's not as well-rounded as some of these other players. He's not as well-rounded as Garrett Wilson. He doesn't have the height and the ability that, that Drake London does, and he's not as smooth as Chris Olave. So if you just need him to get down the field like <clears throat> the Kansas City Chiefs, maybe that's a good pick. I love it. He is Fox Sports lead college football analyst. The NFL Network, again, has coverage of the 2022 NFL Draft kicking off on Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern. With the first round, Joel Klatt is all over it. Hey, my guy, I would say to you, Joel, I will see you at the club, but you know that's not true. You know it's not true. It's not true. I know it's not true, and you won't see me there unless you see me on a Friday night at dinner. But great to have you back, Joel. Really appreciate it. It's, it's great to be back. It's always good to be on your show, and uh, keep killing it. Hey, clones, what do we want when we're craving protein and we need more energy? I'll tell you what we don't want. Bars, sugary snacks, energy drinks. Nah, we want beef, pure and simple. So where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper beef jerky. Old Trapper is not your father's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. No, Old Trapper beef jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. So it's tender and tasty. It's never tough. So why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for their relentless commitment to quality. In other words, they take smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein and comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest that goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach, anywhere at all. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality that you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Time for the beefs. You know, normally I hit this thing really hard and I promote it really hard going into it, but we've had so many other things to get to. So here's the problem, too. I'm just going to air it out. The dirty laundry. The dirty secret and the dirty laundry. We have a guest off of this segment. Memo to everybody. This is not desirable. We know this. Some things are unavoidable. So now I need to spend some time setting it up, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, you know the deal, right? The beef segment. You come with a beef. You call with a beef. You tweet with a beef. I get you on the air with a beef. It's brought to you by Old Trapper. Hey, believe me, it's not Old Trapper's fault. We wouldn't be here without them. Not all beef jerky is the same. Old Trapper's original, old-fashioned, teriyaki, hot and spicy, and peppered, all come in four-ounce bags, so you can sample different flavors to find the best one for you. Ask for Old Trapper by name, because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what is your beef? Here is my beef. My beef. The callers are never as good as the tweeters in the beef segment. I need somebody to step up on the phones. I know what I'm going to get on social. I never, actually, it's not true. I do know what I'm going to get on the calls. Crap. I need better phone call beefs. That's my beef. Let's go. Jimothy, my beef is with ducking autocorrect. It is such a piece of shirt. How am I supposed to get my point across through text or email when it's always tucking autocorrects my words incorrectly? Figure it the fork out, autocorrect. Eric in Colorado Springs. Very clever. I agree with you. Tan smack. My beef is with people who think slides 
aren't appropriate footwear. A shower shoe is not anything you should be wearing in a restaurant or place of business. Your dirty white socks with them are not helping. Maybe you're low-class trash, but don't go around advertising it. Patrick in Alabama, pay-per-view recipient. Not bad. Hey, Rome, my beef is with NFL mock drafts. Mock drafts are like buttholes. Everyone has one. They all stink, and I don't want you to show me yours. Amber in Portland. And she hashtagged it, War Lady Clones. War Lady Clones. Man, I do not want to get on the wrong side of her. Matt Bisson. Hey, Jim, my beef is with the people who get their windows tinted on their car and think they are invisible. Seems like 90% of people with tinted windows like to drive like damn maniacs, weaving in and out of traffic and not using their blinkers. Gym master, my beef is with my past beef. I had a beef with you criticizing Kyrie. I was wrong. Kyrie is a tool, and I was a fool. I will stick to my Raider fan sucks takes. Ron in Colorado, apology accepted. Ron, no worries. All good. At Wooden Laconic, my beef is with my new neighbors. I thought they were decent enough people until I heard that their French bulldog was named Tristan. Hashtag, what's your beef? Hi, J. Rowe. My beef is when I take the time out to send an email to a radio show and the host never reads my beef. Thank you. Rick B. from the 702. Tried and true. Usually works, especially with the vamp. Jimmy. I love the good calls to your show, and I love the crap-tastically bad calls. But my beef is with the insufferable, blatant suck-ups. Clones, come with something original and stop ass-kissing the host. Stop resetting Jim's takes. Stop inquiring about his nags, past and present. Stop the unsolicited pimping of the show's sponsors. Let the man do his job and save that brown nosing for your communications class at community college. Paco in San Rafael. Jimothy, I have beef with happy whatever day of the week it is, guy. Hey, clown, Tuesday is not a holiday. Neither is Wednesday. If you must have Friday, fine. Otherwise, stop making stuff up. Sincerely, Melissa in NorCal. War Lady Beefers. War Lady Clones. Dear Jim. It's good to see the lady beefers in here. Let's see here. Dear Jim, my beef is with the weather. Now that it's warmer outside, every time I walk down the street, I'm forced to see all the bums dumpster diving naked. Nobody wants to see that crap. Will in Richmond. It will no bum smack, dude. You know this. Romy, you rock. My beef is with, that's a great question, guy. Hey, moderator, saying that's a great question means it's not a great question. War saying that's a stupid question for once. 
Rex Lee did that in effect to me once when he goes, is that a question? Yeah. Well, is that a question? That, in effect, is that's a stupid question. No, no, no. At the Bronx Buckeye tweets, hey, Rome, I have a beef with the great state of Ohio. Every state around me is getting paid on gambling. Meanwhile, I'm in Columbus having to watch everybody else's pockets getting fat. Fat? Come on, do better. (laughs) Dodger Jim, my beef is with NFT guy. Seriously, you bag. Nobody gives a rat's ass that you spent tens of thousands of dollars on a picture that anyone could screenshot and send right back to you. Metaverse guy is also a total clown. But if I hear one more guy bragging to me about the NFT they bought last week, I am going to slap them in the next week. Cran in South Carolina. My beef. Bi-weekly. I have no idea if that means every two weeks or twice a week. Same with bi-monthly. Issue. Obfuscation. War Raptors having a 1942 Maple Leafs, 1975 Islanders, and 2004 Red Sox in them. Mike KB, dude, you are working hard. You're making me work hard. At Alvy's Bitch tweets. My beef is with people who crap with their shirt on. If you don't go into that bathroom ready for war, then you clearly don't have to go badly enough. War bidets. Dude, I don't really understand what side you're on. Anyway, Jimmers, I got hashtag beef with my pets. Every time I fire up the apparatus for a one-on-none wrestling match. Oh, wow, Abby. War Lady Clone. I'm just going to run that back again. Jimmers, I got hashtag beef with my pets. Every time I fire up, quote, the apparatus, end of quote, for one-on-none wrestling, they hear the rumble and charge into the room. Come on, you pests. Mama need a little vacation. Unwar shaft sugar. War crotch candy. Abby in San Diego. War lady clone. Abigail, I'm not going to tell you what you should or should not do or think, but wow, Abby, that that is really pushing things. All of it. War lady cloned. Including your crotch candy blast and use of the apparatus. Wow. <sighs> Patrick in Alabama is who I have beef with. Get off your high horse, bucko. If you think you're too cool to wear slides every now and then, you must also be the type of guy who drives right through the roundabout with no regard for human life. Cran in South Carolina is back. I've already gone. I've already gone in on the roundabout. I hate people who can't drive the roundabout. It happens to me every single day. 
I have come so close to getting into so many actual fights because I lean on that horn so hard. I hate a-holes who can't figure out what yield means. People have tried to follow me into my gated neighborhood after I've leaned on that horn that hard. Hey, look, a-hole, I'm not the idiot who doesn't know what the word yield means. Hey, Rome, my beef is with the beef about the Ohio gambler guy. Figure it out and find a bookie. People have been gambling in this country for freaking years, you moron. Aaron in Iowa. All right, let's go to the phones. I'm hoping for good beefs on the phones. First off, San Antonio. Ed. Yo, Ed, what is your beef? <laughs> Jimmers. Well, J.D. ain't going to like this one. My beef is menopause. When I say I only date hot women, that's not bragging. That's a sad reality. You know, 69 at bedtime around my house means that's what you set the thermostat on. Matter of fact, if you Google the term menopause, a picture. Ah! That's not a good call. No. You don't like that call. I don't like Alvin. that call. Not a very good call. Alvin, what are you waiting for? I mean, Alvin, I, I know that you probably set your thermostat to the same thing, but I mean, Alvin, what are you waiting for exactly? Al- Alvin's got nothing to say. <sighs> wow. All right. <laughs> 1-800-636-8686. Alvin, does your mic work? Say something. No, no seriously, say something. Thank you. Dude, that Alvin just went radio silent for a whole minute on me. You were curious what he was going to say? Did you not hear what he did actually say? All right, let's keep going. Go ahead, Alvin. Rack him. It'll make you feel better. Rack him. Let's go to Chico, Rick. Rick, what is your beef? Jimmy, my beef is with Kevin Costner's voice. He used to have this nice guy voice back in the old days. Now on Yellowstone, he's turned into this gravelly voice guy. He's he's smoking too many Marlboros or Newports or something, and he's drinking too much of George Clooney's tequila. Out. Guy's voices change. I don't know. I tried to watch the show. I didn't feel it. Didn't do much for me. Let's go to Jason in Chicago. Jason, what's your beef? Romy, I've got a beef with pickup basketball guy that thinks he's the fourth member of Golden State's 3G. Just because you played freshman A 15 years ago doesn't mean you could pull up from half court like your Philip Seymour Hoffman in Along Came Polly. I'm just trying to squeeze in a few games worth of cardio, but while you're out there trying to get yours, I'm getting ran like a bus rider. It's ridiculous. I feel it, man. Why didn't you just say I've got a beef with Rit? Would have saved us both a lot of time. I've got a beef with Rit. Let's go to... Actually, we're having a pretty good day phone-wise. Let's go to Ohio. Of course, the bar is low, and I grade on a curve. Let's go to Ohio. Connor. Yo, Connor, what's your beef? Hey, my beef is with Everything Bagels. Mm. They ruin the flavor of all of their bagels around them. And then the people who eat them have garlic and onion breath at 9 in the morning. And then I've got to smell it all day. So if you're someone out there who eats those everything bagels, just have something else. Anything else for breakfast. And brush your teeth. I'm out. Not bad, Connor. Not bad. 
I mean, bagels rule because bread rules, even though it's like the most empty calories ever. But I, I, I tend to agree. I like bagels. I like an onion bagel. I like a cinnamon raisin bagel. I like a blueberry bagel. I like a sesame bagel. He's right. You don't need everything. That guy, whoever orders those things, like, why should I choose when I can just get everything? He's right. And your mouth does smell. Run a toothbrush over it. Let's try Pete in Madison. It's my town now. What's going on, Pete? What's your beef? Um, Tim, my beef is with these uh, stoner kids who were going around last Wednesday wishing everybody happy holidays. It's like, what are you talking about, happy holidays? You're doing the same thing you do every day the rest of the year. You're, you're laying around on the couch, hitting the bong, and watching videos. It's not a holiday. Stop doing it. War Mets having the best record in baseball. I'm out. Rodney McLeod is my guest. Rodney, it's been a moment or two. It's good to have you back on. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well, man. Uh, glad to be on. How are you doing? Good, dude. Good, good. So how have things been since you signed with the Colts, and what was that process like for you? It's been amazing uh, thus far. Uh, just getting back into work uh, with the team this week uh, has been great. Uh, getting to know these guys, um, getting to learn uh, a lot more about the organization as a whole. Um, and, you know, that that's why I chose to, you know, come here is because what I recognized from, um, you know, from afar. And that was I was entering into a, a winning environment, a winning culture, uh, Frank Wright, a, a coach who's proven. Uh, I was with him in Philly, and obviously he had the ability to, to win a championship together and understanding that he knows what it takes to win. And just stepping into a locker room with other uh, pro bowlers, all pros, um, and, you know, other leaders on the team. And so it, it makes this process uh, a lot easier. And so uh, it's been it's been good, off to a great start. Uh, just building that foundation uh, during this time uh, is needed. I like that response quite a bit. When you talk about stepping into a locker room where you've got some other veteran leadership, especially on the back end, like in going to the Colts, you join a secondary that already had one of my favorite guys in the league in Kenny Moore. Then you add you, Stephon Gilmore as well. Like when you see the talent in that room, what is the upside for that secondary this year? How good can this group be? Uh, the group can be as great as we make it. Uh, we know on paper we have the talent uh, but it's all about how you execute. It's all about the work. It's all about your preparation uh, leading up to the season um, and as the season goes on. So, you know, this this time uh, is very important for us to be able to, you know, build that foundation, build that trust, build that chemistry uh, that will help us, you know, reach our ultimate goal, which is a championship. So uh, enter into a real good room, man. It's going to be very competitive and it's going to be fun. Um, and that's what you that's what you want to see. Uh, I think, you know, when you have a competitive room, it only brings the best out of everybody. Uh, and so that's only going to make us better as a whole. Rodney McLeod is joining us. One more thing about the coach you mentioned. You also invoked the name of Bob Sanders. And I love that because he, he straight up is one of my favorite NFLers ever. Like you said, when you think of the Colts and the way they play defense, that's one of the guys you think of. Man, I absolutely loved him as a player. What did you like about his game and his approach? Man, really physical. That's the first thing that I think about. Uh, you need an enforcer on defense, uh, somebody who's 
willing to go uh, that extra mile, defend every blade of grass, and be that heart and soul uh, for that defense. And that's what I that's what I saw instantly in Bob Sanders, and I and I think that's what I instantly see when I look at a guy like Darius Leonard, the maniac here, uh, just being around him in a uh, short span of time. He brings and possesses that sort of like energy uh, that you you know that you want to be around, and that's contagious. Uh, you know, you spoke about Kenny Moore. He's a lot more quieter, but he's a sharp guy, um, and and it's proven. And so for me, yeah, it's just looking back on guys who have come before me, like Bob Sanders, Antoine Bethea, you know, Mike Adams, kind of going down a line of safeties that uh, have have stepped um, in between the white lines for these Colts, and yeah, just really looking to embody a lot of their qualities uh, this year. So, Rodney, you're a guy, obviously, who's, I mean, you've been in the league a long time, so you're always looking for that edge, always looking to improve. A few days ago, I thought you had a really interesting tweet. You said, quote, had vegan dinners the past two nights, open eyes to a whole new world. Not bad, guys. I would definitely need a chef for that type of lifestyle. The meals hit different from vegan restaurants, LOL. <laughs> let, me, let me ask you something. Like, was that kind of a one-off, or would switching to a vegan or plant-based lifestyle be something that you might consider? Yeah, so my wife actually has converted over to the vegan uh, lifestyle. And so we were exploring a few restaurants in Philadelphia, and it, it did uh, spark my interest. And for me, I, I made an adjustment to my diet uh, roughly four years ago when I switched to pescatarian just for this, you know, that reason, uh, longevity, but also to hopefully extend my career uh, just a little bit more. Um, you know, guys are very in tune with their body nowadays from diet to different recovery processes. So just something to add into into my um, into my regimen to see, you know, if it helps. Uh, but I don't know if vegan, if I can fully uh, convert uh, to that vegan lifestyle just yet. But it, but it's cool to uh, dabble in it just a little bit from time to time. I got you. Roddy McLeod joining us. You mentioned Philadelphia. Like when you look back on your time in Philadelphia, You've said, among other things, that when you first got to the Eagles, Malcolm Jenkins asked you, do you like to lift? What do you remember about that? And then how much did the two of you push each other in the weight room and everywhere else? Yeah, that was my first time uh, coming in uh, contact with Malcolm is, is that initial introduction. And that kind of set the tone for our relationship moving forward. Us being uh, two leaders of that defense, uh, very dominant uh, tandem uh, during our time there in Philly and, and had the opportunity to win a championship. And I think it, it all started from just that, that first moment, that first impression. And I knew instantly who I was lining up beside, what type of teammate I was dealing with. And I really feel like we bought the uh, best out of uh, each one of us each and every day that we, that we were out on that field. So uh, it was a special time uh, and, and grateful for my time spent there in the, the past six years. You know, you when you're there as long as you were there and you put in the time that you put in in the community and you had the impact that you had in that particular community, business is business. You have a new opportunity right now. But how challenging is it to leave because of the relationships that you formed there over that time with the team and in the community? Yeah, it's, it's hard, and I, that's what made it even uh, tougher uh, for me to, to walk away. Um, and it, it's sad. Um, and so I think one thing that I wanted people to understand is that I was uh, extremely grateful for my time spent in Philly, uh, what it did for, for my life, uh, for my career, 
for my family as well. Uh, there were a, a lot of things that I accomplished in those six years um, outside of the game of football. But what I wanted to to send, what I wanted people to take away was that you know what I do in the community will be forever. Uh, that's not going to change is because you know I switch my destination for my career. Um, I'm still committed to that community. I'm still committed to the uh, other communities that we touch, you know, um, since uh, the foundation has been in existence. And this is just, you know, what we do. And so the mission will continue to stay the same and we'll hopefully uh, now be able to uh, impact uh, this Indianapolis community in the same way. See, the thing is, Ronnie, you, it's, it's a commitment, but at the same time, I've heard you call it and refer to it as an actual calling. So I know how important it is to you. I mentioned off the very top that you're hosting your annual sneaker ball in July. For those who do not know, what is this sneaker ball all about? Yeah, sneaker ball is uh, our fundraiser event that we host uh, annually. And our first uh, sneaker ball event was actually last year. It, it was an amazing turnout. We felt like the sneaker culture is just a great way to bring people together. Uh, but, you know, the the true focus is about our mission at hand, and that's putting kids first, just being able to, um, you know, help them provide access and opportunities to uh, a lot of these kids in underserved communities. And so it's a way for people to come out, have a great time, show off, you know, their fashion and, and sneaker sense of style, but get behind a great cause and be a part of the solution, uh, be a part of something that is impactful and that's going on within their community to ultimately, you know, impact the next generation to come. So uh, we're ho now hosting our second uh, annual fundraiser um, sneaker ball event this upcoming July um, in Philadelphia. And, um, you know, we'll be pushing things out very soon on our website uh, for people to be able to purchase tickets and figure out other ways that they can be a part because uh, we know, you know, Hey, we welcome, your funds, but if you want to be a volunteer, if you want to participate in any of our programs that we have coming up, uh, we encourage it all. It is a great message. It is a great cause. So if you're listening, make sure you look for that so you get all the latest information. It is the annual sneaker ball. It's coming up in July. He is a safety now for the Colts. He is a Super Bowl champion and also founder of Back of House Clothing Brand, friend of the program, Rodney McLeod. Rodney, great to get caught up. Appreciate you. Good to have you on the show. Thanks so much for doing that, as always. Man, always a pleasure. Good night now!